Good morning. It's good to see each of you here. We have a pretty small group this morning, so I'm grateful for all you visitors for being here and joining us in worship. It's good to see uh, family here. Some of your families came with you. It's just good to see some grandchildren here whose parents aren't able to be here because of sickness, health, and uh, it's good to see Randon visiting. So we just have a lot of home people who maybe don't call this home anymore, but it's good to see you here. Welcome. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for this day. Lord, thank you for a day of worship. Lord, thank you for this Christmas season. And it's a busy, it's a busy time, Lord. And, and yet, I pray that we would uh, just take the time to uh, stop and consider and be grateful. And Lord, this morning as we, as we look at who you are, I pray that we could be encouraged and that we could be... Um, that our walk with you could be strengthened uh, as we look at, at um, the greatness of you and, and who you are and, and how you are so faithful. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Marty Grunder spelled his name with an exclamation point at the end. Just because, why not stand out and be different? Marty Grunder owns a landscape company in Ohio, Dayton, Ohio, to be exact. And several years ago, I attended the Lawn and Landscape uh, show in Louisville, Kentucky. And Marty was, he gave a talk or a, a short seminar, just a, a yeah, one-day talk that I attended. And um, I was just starting my business, and uh, so I was excited to see what, what he had to share. And he talked about how to do business, how to be an entrepreneur and how to uh, run a business. And he gave some of his own story. And Marty started out as a, a kind of how most typical lawn care businesses start out with. He said he bought a $25 push mower at a garage sale and he started mowing lawns. And, and when he went to college, uh, he continued mowing lawns trying to pay for his tuition. And eventually that grew into starting a business. And uh, he's actually got a, a pretty large landscape company at this time. Marty worked hard to compete with his competition in those early years. And he he thinks outside of the box, and he was talking about that at, his, at this seminar that I attended, and uh, I found some of the things interesting, uh, some of the ways he went about business and trying to make it appear as if he was a successful lawn business so that clients would want to come to him. And uh, one of his ways to do that was, uh, if you've noticed, often businesses that have multiple trucks in the field, I guess it gets confusing to remember which truck is which, and so they start numbering their trucks. You know, you see a, a Nipsco truck with a number 17 on it or number 336. What goes through your mind? Oh, they have a lot of trucks. And so Marty got a bunch of uh, magnetic numbers printed up, and every day he would change the number on his truck. That way people that would see him at a stoplight would see, oh, Grunder, that's truck number 17. They've really grown this year. And so he had ways of doing things like that to make it appear as if uh, he had a successful business. And he was successful at it. Um, 
he learned how to serve his customers well, and his, he, he, his business grew. And, um, and in fact, uh, some time ago, we were, um, we were driving through Ohio, and his business is located somewhere between Dayton and Cincinnati. Cincinnati. And as we were driving down that road, I, I suddenly saw this big sign that said Grunder Landscape. And he, immediately, I had to think of him. Uh, it, it came to mind and, and what he had said. And I, it's probably been close to 20 years ago since I heard his talk. And so it, it stood out to me. And I met him one time. Occasionally, I read an article of his in, in a magazine. In fact, he's been so successful, and he's, he's proven that he has ways of getting results out of a business that he is actually doing probably more coaching for other businesses than he actually is running his own business. Marty has earned that credibility by the way he has run his business, and by and by how it has been successful. People look at him, and they, and they want what he has done for their business. They want the same thing. He's proven that he can help them by taking certain, by implementing certain disciplines and um, systems in a business Time over time, and, and by repeating those, he has proven that he can help you be a successful business. People want what he has, and they're willing to pay him to get it. You know, in our Christian life, there is a being that we should not compare with Marty Grunder, but there, there is a being that we have that is in our Christian life. That is actually, actually the ultimate, and I would put an exclamation point behind his name, coach with an exclamation point. This being has a story, though, that is quite a bit different from Marty's. He didn't start from a lowly beginning. He didn't start small and grow bigger. He didn't have to prove his success. He doesn't have to make himself look big because he is big. You know, Marty had a beginning of his career, and eventually he will have an end. Eventually he will step out of his career. He will step out of his business. And probably if those systems and if those things that he's implemented in his business, if they continue to do that, probably his business will continue being successful without him being there. But this being that I'm speaking of is different. You see, this being never had a beginning. But he is. He did. He always was. And he is now. And he always will be forevermore, eternally. And I know that's redundant. But I don't know how else to describe eternity. I don't know how else to describe forever. 
except to just repeat it. Because in our, our little human minds, we can't grasp something that just doesn't end. We always see something with a beginning and with an end. And, and we measure things in between, in between those two lines. But this, this being is eternal. This being is God. And what I choose to believe about God does not change who he is. But it does change who I am and who I will be. What I believe about God does not change who he is. But it changes who I am and who I will be. John Koblenz in his book, Journey into God, says, Your faith in God doesn't make him real. The reality of God doesn't depend on your feelings, your attitudes, praises, or complaints. You cannot make God more or less or change who he is by any of your responses. Because God is. God is. He's, he's unchangeable. It doesn't matter what I believe about him. It doesn't matter how I view him. God doesn't change. God speaking to Moses in Exodus when he was sending Moses to uh, lead the children of Israel. He said, tell the children of Israel that I am has sent you. And then he makes a statement and he says, I am who I am. I am who I am. And as humans, that, that maybe doesn't even make sense to us. But God was stating the truth of who he is. He just says, I am. I am who I am. And really the only thing that we can do is change our perception. The only thing I can do is change my perception of who he is. And everyone chooses a perception of God. All of us choose how we view God. All of us choose how we relate to him. We don't make a choice or we don't, we don't choose who he is, but we choose how we relate to him. And there are two different ways to look at God. And these, there are two different scriptures I'm going to read. And we have these two choices to make. The first one is, Psalm, is found in Psalm 14, verse 1. It says, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. You know, this belief that is referred to here in Psalm that this fool has made, that there is no God, doesn't change the fact that there is a God. And that God is actually unchanging. It doesn't change the fact. It doesn't change anything about God. But when a fool makes that choice to believe that, it's going to change who he is. It's going to affect who he is and the outcome of his life. Proverbs 9 verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. When a man believes this, it has an immediate, an eternal, and an eternal effect on him. It changes who he is. 
when I choose to say, I'm going to fear the Lord and I'm going to allow him to speak into my life, it, it changes who I am. It changes my perception of who he is. It changes what I do. It, it, it not only changes my, my belief and my, my thoughts about him, but when that happens, it changes what you see on the outside. It changes how I act. It changes my countenance. It changes every part of me because I believe who God is and I have a healthy fear of who he is. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 40. The title of the message is God is with an exclamation point behind it just because God is. Isaiah chapter 40, in my attempt to describe God, I wasn't sure how to do it, except to turn to Scripture and look at what, what Scripture shows us about God. How does he, what is it about his being? How does, he, how does he think? How does he act? How big is he? And so we're going to do that this, this morning. Isaiah chapter 40, beginning to read in verse 9, it says, O Zion... That bring us good tidings. Get thee up into the high mountain, O Jerusalem, that bring us good tidings. Lift up thy voice with strength. Lift it up. Be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. He gives a description of God in these first two verses of God being a strong and a mighty God. He's a God to be feared. He's a God of strength. He's over everything. Then continuing to read in the next verse, it gives a different picture of him. That's the, that's the in, our, in our human mind, the confusing thing about God is because we want to put him in a box. I either want to think of him as something big or I want to think of him as something soft and caring. And the fact of the matter is, God is both. God is both. Continuing to read in the next verse, it says, He shall feed his flock like a shepherd, and he shall gather the lambs with his arms, with his arm, and carry them in his bosom, and shall gently lead those that are with young. You know, God is not only a strong and a mighty God, but he's also a caring God. He's a God who has arms that, that welcome the weak. He's a God that, that sees the little lamb that needs a little help and feeds them and, and helps them. And so he's both. Not only is he powerful, but he's a caring God. And that's a picture that is just is so consoling to me to know that there's this there's this mighty, strong, big being who's, who's over everything, and yet he, he reaches down and at times just holds me, protects me, feeds me, feeds you. He knows what we're experiencing. He knows what we need at the time. And when we need a big God, he's a big God. 
And when we need thunder and lightning, he's that. And at times we need that. But there are times that we need a God to reach down with compassion. And he's that also. How can that be? How can that be? Going on to read in verse 12, it says, Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, and meted out heaven with the span, and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. And there's a question mark after that verse. It's like, how is that possible? How is this God? How, how can he do these things? How can he measure? It says he, he, he measures the water in his hands. Now, there's not very much water in this glass, but there's, there's probably not a one of us that could hold this, all of this water in one little glass in, in both of our hands. And yet it says that, that God, he, holds, he could hold all the water of the earth in his hands. He's that big. It says that he could weigh. He, he measures the heaven with the span. He can measure the heavens. And he can comprehend the dust of the earth in a measure. And he can weigh the mountains in the scales. And the hills in a balance. He's able to do that. It's, he's a big God. Verse 13, it says, Who hath directed the Spirit of the Lord, or, or being his counselor hath taught him? With whom took he counsel? And who instructed him, and taught him in the path of judgment, and taught him knowledge, and showed to him the way of understanding? You know, who taught God to do the things that he needs to do? Who, who, who instructed God? Who, who told God how to do everything? Nobody did. Because he's God. Because he is. Because he was. Because he will be. Nobody had to instruct him. He didn't have to sit under a coaching session and figure out how to take care of the world, how to, how to hold everything into place and make everything spin so it doesn't hit each other. But our God just, he did that because that's who he is. He's a big God. He's, he, he knows how to do it. He didn't have to be instructed. Going on in verse 15, behold, the nations are as a drop in a bucket. What are, what are some of the strongest, biggest entities in our entire world? Probably nations, right? Nations probably make the largest impact in our world. A nation that is wealthy and that has strength and has a leader who leads them well can accomplish a lot of things. They have a uh, lot of net worth. They can, they can do a lot of good. They can do a lot of evil. So nations are probably one of the strongest things in our world today. In verse 15 it says, Behold, the nations are as a drop in a bucket and are counted as the small dust of the balance. So if we would have an empty bucket, and we'd take one little drip of water and put it in there, we would all look at that bucket and say, there's nothing in there. And that's what he's saying is that that's how the nations are. They're like a drop in the bucket. They're, they're so small, they're, 
they really don't make a difference in the scope of things. And in fact, it says it's, it's, he's like a, in the old times, they would have scales, right? And today we have a, maybe a scales that we step on. And although most of us, when we step on that scales, would like for that little meter thing to stay as low as possible, how many of you ever dust the scales to make sure all the dust is off before you step on so that it looks a little bit better? We don't do that, do we? Because the dust really doesn't count. But he's saying these nations are the same thing in the, in the picture of things. These nations are, they're, they're like a little piece of dust. The United States of America, possibly one of the largest entities in the entire world. And, and sometimes we, we really think that, that we are something maybe. Our, our nation is, we're amazed at what can happen and, and what we can do and how we can, wow, we can send somebody to outer space and it's an amazing thing and, and we can develop all these things and, and it says, you know what, that's just like a little piece of dust on the scale. It's nothing compared to who God is. God's big. God's, he sees over all of that. He, he, the dust is, he, he barely notices it. He cares about it. He cares about it. But in the scope of who he is, it doesn't account for much. Behold, he taketh up the isles as a very little thing. And Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor the beast thereof sufficient for a burnt offering. All nations before him are as nothing. And they are counted to him less than nothing and vanity or worthless. In comparison to God, nations are nothing. He's so much more powerful. He's... He's in control of so much more. He has so much more on his plate than the entire United States of America trying to keep peace and to keep our own economy going and to keep order in this part of the world and in this part of our country. And we think, you know, sometimes I think, what it would, what would it, how would it be to be the president and have to think about all these things? And yet it says to God, that's nothing. you get the picture? God's big. God can do all of that. God can do all of those big things and not even think about it. In fact, the things that we're worried about, the things we're so concerned about, the, the big impacts that we think that we're making, it, making, they're just a little piece of dust in comparison to who God is and how he works. And the unbelievable thing is, even though God is so big and we're so small, we try to take things and set them up in place of him. And we, look, we want to look at those things and say, wow, that's really amazing. Continue to read in verse 18, it says, To whom then will you liken God? What are you going to compare God to, he's saying. Who are you going to compare God to? What are you going to compare him to? Will ye compare him, or what likeness will ye compare unto him? The workman that melteth a graven image, and the goldsmith spreadeth it over with gold, and casteth silver chains. 
So he's saying, you know, somebody that's, that's really skilled in, in, in working with metal and gold and silver, he may, make, he may make some kind of image and spend a lot of time at making this image and, and plating it with gold and, and putting silver over it and trying to really make it look, make it look like an idol. An idol, make it look like, like a, a being, an amazing thing. And we as humans, we stand there and we look at that thing and we say, wow, that's, that's really amazing. And maybe we won't, maybe we're not the type that actually worship that idol. But there are people that do. And then in the next verse he says, well, continue to read. It says, he that is so impoverished that he hath no oblation. So he's referring back to the first verse and he's saying, you know, maybe you don't know how to work with metal. So maybe you're not the person that sets up a metal image. And then he continues on and says, he chooseth a tree, a tree that will not rot. So now he's, he's pointing out another idol that we make. Maybe we're not the person that makes it out of metal, but we choose a tree that will not rot. He seeketh unto him a cunning workman to prepare a graven image that shall not be moved. So maybe we don't set up the metal idol, but maybe we'll do it with wood. And I think he's pointing out here that each one of us we can tend to find something to try to replace God. Maybe it's not an actual image. Maybe it's not something that we build. But maybe it is a reputation. Maybe it is my business. Maybe it is who I am. Maybe it is something that I have. But I, I try to take something and, and put it in place of where God should be. What is that for you? Maybe it's not something metal. Maybe it's not something wood. But is there something that is in your life that you put on that throne, that you put on that in place of that being, that that has more importance than the God who's looking down and, and seeing everything and, and sees it as dust? What is it that you put in place of that? Verse 21, have ye, have ye not known? Have ye not heard? Hath it not been told you from the beginning? Have ye not understood from the foundations of the earth? You know, God's sovereignty, his power and his strength are evident if we're looking for them. And, and we, should, we should be able to see them when we're looking for them. We should be able to identify them. We should be able to see who God is. We may not fully understand his whole being. But when we look at the things around us, we should be able to see God. Verse 22. It says, It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are as mighty beings. No, it says they're as grasshoppers. We're like little grasshoppers they, that stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in. That bringeth the princes to nothing. He maketh the judges of the earth as vanity. Yea, they shall not be planted. Yea, they shall not be sown. Yea, their stock shall not take root in the earth. And he shall also blow upon them, and they shall wither. And the whirlwind shall take them away as stubble. 
It is he that sits on the throne, verse 22 says. And it says he overlooks, he, he sees over everything. He's looking down on us and he sees these, these little creatures moving. That's us. Or maybe that's the whole nation that he sees as that little grasshopper moving. He's looking down. And even the most powerful, he refers here to princes and judges. You know, if, if nations are the strongest um, entities on the earth, probably kingdoms and people that rule those kingdoms are probably some of the most powerful people on our earth. It's the princes. It's the kings. It's the judges. And if you don't think judges have a lot of strength, just pay attention to what's going on in our society. Judges have a lot of power. And they can change a nation. And he's saying here, God's, God's looking over this, his whole kingdom. He's looking over the earth. And he looks down at those princes. And he looks at those judges who, who are part of what we think is this big nation, and then under there, then we have these princes and judges working. And God's looking down over all of that, and he sees these grasshoppers. And it says these, these not only are these nations small, but then these princes and these judges are working inside of the nations. And it said God is, God is so powerful that he can blow them away with his, with his wind. He can, he can dry them up. He can shrivel them up. Because he's so powerful. He's in control of all of that. And just a little side note. And then I think that I need to go help elect the right person. To help control what God is looking down on and saying, I've got all of this. And I think I can help in some way. Those men aren't in control, people. God's looking down over all of that. He sees all of that, and he's saying, these are just specks of dust. And he's in control of all of it. He's in control of all of it. His breath can make them wither. They dry up. They're blown away. They're loose, it says. They're unrooted. They're dry. They're worthless. God is in control of all of that. Verse 25, it says, to whom then will you liken me? Who are you going to compare me to? To whom then will you liken me? Or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One? God's not to be compared to something or someone. Verse 26, it says, lift up your eyes on high and behold who hath created these things that bringeth out their host by number. He calleth all he calleth them all by names, by the greatness of his might, for that he is strong in power, and not one faileth. I think we do well to just stand back, like it says, and to just look at the heavens, and to, and to look at what's around us, to look at creation, and to realize that, that this, this being that's in control of all of this, he not only made all of it, he named it, he knows the names, and he knows how to keep it all working. And he's able to keep it running, despite popular opinion that we're going to all 
burn up because of global warming or whatever it may be. God's in control of all of that. I think he can figure it out. And we as beings should be standing back and looking at all of that and saying, wow, it's amazing what's all around us. I look at all this creation and, and how, how trees take water and, and take it up into their leaves. And I look at all that and I say, wow, it's amazing. But the amazing thing is, not only can we see that, but we can actually know and see who made that. We can actually see how he keeps it moving, how he keeps it living, and how he controls all of it. That's a big God. That's a God that's worth being amazed at. Verse 27 and 28 says, Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest, O Israel, my way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from my God? Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard, that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary, there is no searching of his understanding? Why would I think that I could hide from the Lord? Why would I think that I could do something that he doesn't see? When he, when he sees all of that, when he, when he knows how to make all of this work together, and then I think somehow I get in my mind sometimes that I can hide from God or he's not going to see what I'm doing or, or maybe he's not aware of what I'm going through. God, don't you see what I'm going through? Can't you see, can't you see the valley that I'm in, God? God sees it. He's so big that he can see the little things. Does that make sense? It doesn't. But God's so big that he can see the little things. And God cares. There is no searching of his understanding. You know, we can't, we can't understand we can't even search, we can't even research his understanding. If we begin to Google, how does God understand? You're not going to get anything. You're not, you're not going to touch the tip of his understanding. It's, it, it's, it's hard to even get a, a grasp on God. It's hard to even begin to understand him. Because of his greatness. Verse 29, he giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, the increase, he increaseth strength. God in his infinite ability gives the weak power and strength. God holds all the power in his hand, and God is, gives it to those that he wants to give it to. Verse 30, even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. You know, sometimes we think that uh, we have a lot of energy and we're, and we're strong. And, and the younger we are, I think the stronger we, we feel. And, and I'm beginning to realize more and more my lack of strength the older I get. My physical strength. And sometimes we as humans, we really think we are strong. And he refers to youth. 
When you're a youth, you feel strong. You feel like you're invincible, like you can really do something. And sometimes we, we grab something and we try to pick it up. We think, well, oh, I'm pretty sure I can do that. And it's not until we go and, okay, I, maybe I can't do that. And maybe on a better day. And we, we just, we can't quite wrap our minds around the fact sometimes that we're maybe not as strong as we think we are. But he says, even those youth who feel like that, they're not to be compared to the greatness of God, to the energy that God has, to the strength that he has. Even they're, even they're going to get weak. Even they're going to get weary. They find themselves faint and weary, weary. The young men shall utterly fall. But God is different. God doesn't fall. God doesn't lose his energy. Verse 31, but they that wait upon the Lord. And I think for too long I've read the beginning part of that verse and I'm, I think, well, it gives us the picture that I need to be patient. I just need to wait. God's, God's going to give me that strength. God's going to God's going to give it to me. But when you look at the actual definition of that word wait, it is, it is the idea of being wrapped in. It is the idea of being brought together, idea of being combined. And so as I wrap myself in with God, as I start becoming part of his being, is the idea of wait. But they that wait upon the Lord, they that wrap themselves up with who he is, they that are, they're, they're being changed. There's something different. There's, there's a strength. When I wrap myself, when I allow God to wrap himself around me, when I allow God to, to change who I am, there's something that's happening. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. See, suddenly there's, there's a strength that I'm, I'm gaining not from myself, but from God. I'm, I'm getting it from him. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. And we all like the picture of that eagle, and we think of him as soaring. But see, eagles, when they're soaring, have went through a process to get there. There is something that eagles go through that we don't like to really think about. I like to think of that majestic bird up there and think, well, well God, I've waited on him, right? I've, I've been wrapped with him, and now I'm going to soar like the eagle. But an eagle goes through a process before they're able to do that of what they call molting. And it's a painful process. And it's a process of losing feathers, and taking out all those, those old feathers and those dirty feathers. And they, they, they pull them out and they fall. And an eagle doesn't look very good at that stage. In fact, they're pretty scrawny. Eagles lose up to 40% of their body weight through that process. That majestic bird that I like to think of flying in the sky with that big body suddenly he's reduced and he doesn't look real good. And he's going through a hard time. And those, those feathers are being 
pulled out. And he loses his body weight. And it's actually a good thing that he loses his body weight because he doesn't have the feather mass. He doesn't have the strength to move and to hold his body. If his body were full weight, he probably couldn't hold it with those, those wings. But what happens through that molting process is those, those feathers come out. He loses his body weight, but then new feathers begin to emerge. They're strong feathers. They're new feathers. They're feathers that are clean. They're feathers that give that bird the strength of a youth, like he was when he was young. So it's, it's a new, it's a changed eagle. It's an eagle who went through a process of hard times, went through a molt, and there's a change. And he becomes a new eagle, and his, his, his strength is renewed. And brothers and sisters, I think our Christian life is much like that. It's as I, it's as, as I come to the cross, as I come to Jesus Christ, and I, and I begin that molting process, it's not a fun process. But something has to change. There is a part of me that has to begin dying. There's a part of me that my old feathers have to begin falling out. That I may be just a shell of the man that I really thought I was. There's a part of me that has to be laid down. There's a part of me that has to be just a stick of a man that maybe I thought I used to be. And when I come to that place, when I come to that place where I, I begin becoming wrapped up with God, when, when God, when, it, when he's becoming, when there's, my being is becoming more like him, and it actually looks less like me, there's a, there's a change that happens that's exciting. There's the a, there's a energy and a strength that begin to fill me because there's something different, because there's been a change at the cross. There's, my, my, my old being is laid down. Something has changed, and there's a new being that takes control. And there's a strength that, I, that I'm given that I can be renewed like an eagle. That I now have strength to soar. Not, it's not my old strength. Uh-uh. It's something new. It's a changed person. It's something new that's been created by this God, this big God. Well, maybe we ask the question, how do I change my perception of God? How can I even see God? How do, how do I change my view of him? And this is a rather simple answer, but you need to know him. I need to know him. I need to have a relationship with him. You see, when I married my wife, I knew who she was. I knew her parents. I knew who her grandparents were. I knew some things about her. But it wasn't until I invested time and energy and asked questions and observed that I actually began to know who she is. I actually begin to know her. There's actually a relationship. It actually, I begin to realize a little bit more how she thinks or who she is. And that's the same way with God. It's not until I study him. It's not until I pursue him. 
It's not until I take time to be with him that I begin to know him. It takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of time. You know, there's a difference in knowing who God is and knowing him. There's a difference in knowing who God is and knowing him. One is realizing who he is. The other one is a relationship. I actually know him. There's a difference in knowing what God has done for others. We can read through scripture and we can see mighty things that he's done, how he parts the waters and how he raises people from the dead. We can see all of that and we can say, wow, that's a big God. But until I realize that, you know what? There are a lot of wow things in my life. There are a lot of things that God does every day and realizing that it's because of God that those things happen. It's only because of God that, that I can do this or I have my health or I am able to bring him praise in one certain way. It's only as I realize that it's because of God working through me that I begin to realize that, oh, I know God. God's actually, it's, he's a real God because he's working through my life. He cares about me. It's personal. You know, God is on his own timeline. He has his own agenda. He has his own systems in place. And I would do well to follow those. I would do well to get onto his plan. You know, unlike Marty Grunder, God's plan does not need to be proven. God's plan does not need to be proven. God does not need to earn his experience. God does not need to look big. God just is. God just is. And I'm given a choice to believe that or not to believe who he actually is. And there's only one result and outcome if I choose to follow and pursue and allow him to change who I am. And yes, on that path here on earth, there are going to be valleys. And there are going to be mountains. But when I choose to follow him and I follow him through those valleys and through over those mountains, there is something that I experience. There's fullness of life that I experience here on earth. There's a peace. There's a joy. There's a contentment that I experience here on earth and throughout all eternity. Forever. You know, what I choose to believe about God does not change who he is. But it does change who I am or will be. Let's kneel for prayer.